I eat a fry every day this summer. Go for that building sites. You know, now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there the food and the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head at performances, which just lacked that intensity. Boom. Right. It's like May all over again. It felt that every single Monday morning last season we would come on here and that top, very red, very scarlet-looking tab that we have there would just have Manchester United beside it every Monday. And every Monday we'd come in and be like, not again. Not again, but it's just the unavoidable task of shoving Manchester United into the bottom of the performance rankings, as has been the case for the last two, three, four, five seasons at this point. They disappointed Sugar Daddy Avram Glazer in the flesh yesterday just to make things worse for them and it was quite a comical start to life under Eric Ten Hag. My favourite part of course was uh, Danny Welbeck, a former Manchester United reject, running rings around them but not just running rings around them because he's Danny Welbeck but also running rings around them because he had a stomach issue during the week and Graham Potter said he would have strapped the toilet onto his backside to play. It would have slowed him down though. He would have. He was amazing. <laughs> I think it's a misquote. I think it's, it wouldn't have slowed him down. But we all know that, like, uh, a toilet strapped to your arse would actually have slowed you down. He does know his physics, uh, Graham Potter. And uh, Welbeck was 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 pretty good yesterday. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't help Harry Maguire when his right back goes on a bit of an adventure to try and close down Leandro Trossard and Trossard looks like Iniesta on the left wing playing that ball through, and it's disaster time for United straight away, and that sets the tone for the whole afternoon where if United go a goal down at home right now it seems like it's the most difficult place in the world for them to get a result and both Ten Hag and Harry Maguire said in the aftermath that they just lost some element of belief midway through that first half so that's a really big problem for them at the moment because next time they're playing the theatre of dreams they're going to be thinking about that we can't go 1-0 down we can't get off to a bad start here they need to score first it feels for them to to win at home at the moment It's just a, a glorious reintroduction of some of last season's plot lines which we thought were over it's like the writers are doing an excellent job here you didn't think it was possible that they could tie all these strands together but they managed to do it in 90 minutes where uh, Ronaldo comes off the bench and they score fairly soon afterwards it's like ooh should he have started he said he was fit to start Ten Hag decided he wasn't Uh, Fred the Red high-fiving Eric Ten Hag and the crowd going wild in the pre-match it's like it's like they had all blinked away everything that they'd learned from last season and then he picked he picked the last season team. Yeah. Basically just last season team. What? You can't do that. Like people asking the question, will Manchester United be better this season while seeing a team sheet that includes Fred and Scott McCominay? <laughs> Didn't seem like a, a question that was that was that was a very, very optimistic question, I would we're, have thought. We're gonna play out from the back. It's like we've got a goalkeeper who's not very good at that. Should we do this? Do you think we should go ahead with this, even though like uh, the goalkeeper seems to be slightly again I don't know if there's a collective amnesia but he's grand he's like the highest paid or second highest paid goalkeeper in world football and he's just not good at the thing that Manchester United are trying to do yeah I know like yeah that's obviously a significant problem but imagine if midway through last season you pulled the Manchester United fan aside and was like at the start of next season Christian Eriksen's going to be your starting false nine 
it is like we said that to Manchester United before his miraculous comeback last <laughs> season. Like they would be like, "What are you talking about?" And it's honestly been one of the best stories in sport. It's been absolutely fantastic. But I don't think anybody at Manchester United, even at the start of the summer window, even after his miraculous comeback with Brentford would have said that would be a good way to start next season and then they've seen that gaping wound and have just gone for the nearest container of salt because apparently Marco Arnautovic is on the way to the club and uh, they're preparing an £8 million bid for a 33-year-old for, for uh, Odeon Agallo 2.0 uh, somebody who brings Chinese football experience to the Premier League uh, were we were, well I don't know I was going to say were we wrong about Mourinho but then he stank the joint out at Spurs afterwards so you have to say no but uh, he says the job he did at Manchester United to get them to second was the best job he's ever done because you've no idea what's going on behind the scenes. And I, I'm starting to think he might be right. It's right. It's, it's certainly, if he can get that team at the moment to finish second, it's up there with winning the Champions League of Porto. Like, it really is. I mean, this team at the moment stinks. They stink so bad. And they were fighting in the stands. It was a scuffle in the stands. It, that, that, that happens. But it's it caught on camera. They're all wearing lanyards, though. I, do, do football fans wear lanyards? Is there, I would have thought that maybe that was kind of a posh corporate section or something in the photographs. There's photographs in one of the English papers this morning of um, fighting in the streets. I'm like, wow. Panic in the streets of Manchester, except only on one, one half of the, the um, thing. I, is there an easy way out? Can two, can two good midfielders fix this? Like, if you sub in two world-class midfielders who all of a sudden are good, is that enough to get, get this whole thing fixed? No, and like when you're talking about getting something fixed in the context of Manchester United, you're obviously talking about them becoming uh, title contenders. I think a fix this season is getting them into competition for a top four place, which even at this moment looks like a, a bit of an ask, given the form of, or given just how good some of the teams ahead of them currently look. But like I've seen a very good point made over the past couple of days, and it's that like Ten Hag and his signings and the players that maybe he wants to sign as well as those that he signed if we include De Jong are very Ten Hag players and like that feels like a good thing like if you rewind it's like okay the manager has a good degree of control at the football club but in reality is there anybody else helping him out there is there like a recruitment department that's actually throwing their weight behind this whole thing that it's not actually just Ten Hag's ideas that are being heard and are being executed on like is there joined up thinking higher up in the club or is it simply a situation where it's like what player do you like Eric Grant let's see if we can get the money for him and maybe in some cases we'll be able to make that signing happen granted that, that, that could be a bit of a strange argument to make because in general you want your manager to be supported but like reading some of the, the, the writing in the aftermath of yesterday it is like straight back to, to last season and even more intense like Laurie Whitwell in The Athletic had like a couple of cutting paragraphs here. He says, Afterwards, the loudest fans were aligned to Brighton. They stayed to salute their team, and especially Graham Potter, who has reorganised his side amid the loss of two of his most important players in Basuma and Kukurea. It can be revealed United declined an offer to consider Potter in the hunt for Solskjaer's successor due to his lack of Champions League experience. United also stepped away from signing Moise Casiedo, who instead moved to Brighton in February 21 for £4.5 million. The 20-year-old was excellent in midfield at Old Trafford. Danny Welbeck, sold by Louis van Hal, gave a superb display at centre-forward. United started Ericsson up top. And uh, the juxtaposition, even with Brighton at this point, and even with a Liverpool or a Manchester City or a Chelsea or a Spurs, is something that is making them a little bit painful at this point, which kind of shows how, how far they've fallen. Or it just kind of shows how vast the tentacles of Manchester United pain now reach, where they can play anybody and you're like, oh, we should have got that guy or we should have got that manager. We had him. We had him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a Caseta with the back heel that set up the, the move for the goal. Yeah, I think so. Uh, there was a brilliant bit of commentary from 
uh, Brian Kerr where he was talking about uh, you can, it's alright having a false nine but it's no good if you've got no one playing nine or ten or eleven they're basically no one playing anywhere at the moment and you're like okay this uh, this the, the, the new movie is the same as the old movie now look it's his first game and I think from Ten Hag's perspective we, we, I'm not judging them yet yeah at no all. one's pointing figure at Ten Hag I don't think but it's very enjoyable to watch what's going on no question, <laughs> no question. like the thing with Ten Hag is that you would, you would probably think that on the basis of yesterday he's got a lot to learn like it felt to me even when they took off one of the midfielders when they took off Fred in the second half things didn't diminish in fact they got a greater stranglehold of the game now that may be because Brighton were 2-0 up and they were retreating anyway but it does feel that maybe on the evidence of yesterday you don't need both McTominay and Fred um, but then again we've been in this position before where you thought Manchester United managers could have come to that clu- conclusion themselves and that they realised that actually they, they kind of have to play them so Interesting times, to say the very least. Uh, Park Stack says, Q United to go on a three-game unbeaten run. I mean, if the limit of their ambition is a three-game unbeaten run, then perhaps Park, that might be, uh, that might just be possible. We'll but see. then, look, we, we just need to soak in this moment because this will be the last time Manchester United will be in the red in the performance rankings. They will not be back here any other Monday morning. Thomas Mara says, Did you know that Steven Gerrard's record at Villa is the same as Gary Neville's at Valencia? One ten, wow. drawn 5, lost 13, 35% win percentage, and that was before the weekend's match. Wow. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just reading it out from our YouTube comments, <laughs> right? <laughs> it this has not good. been fact-checked. I mean, it sounds good. Like, I, was 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 Gary Devil's record that good? <laughs> I, I, uh, Frank says no emer- emotional connection, Jerry. After a ten-minute tirade, no, it's true, Frank. I was, I'm like genuinely disappointed. I was looking forward to watching Premier League football where there was a, a hope of something happening. Like, you know, they've signed relatively well. There's like there's a lot to like about the players. Somebody who's uh, on the, on Villa Twitter he was like Pochettino in. I was like, I mean, there are delusions of grandeur, and then there's like, and they're like, could we could we get him? Is that is that possible? What'll happen is Poch- mean, Pochettino will take over Aston Villa, beat Manchester United, Manchester United. Will be like we should have got that manager. Exactly. Well, I would be happy with that. <laughs> that would be a win. Owen, that was that would be a win. Right. So uh, the Gary Neville record is true. I'm reliably informed here. That's a Gary Neville. Do we need to like? Re- That's not that bad in Valencia, is it? I mean, what what do they expect? Uh, I suppose um, Valencia, like Villa, expect better. That's it, isn't it? They should expect. They should. They should not have the tyranny of low expectations. I'm 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 uh, I'm discovering this live in the moment here, folks. You can see that. Where's next, Owen? Uh, next is uh, the All Blacks, and uh, let's fast forward to our newspaper segment this morning and bring you some of the uh, not the back pages the front page of the New Zealand Herald this morning it says uh, Ian Foster and the All Blacks it is time for change and uh, it is quite blurry Uh, it's time for an end to Ian Foster's time as head coach of the All Blacks goes uh, front of this morning's New Zealand Herald the Herald takes no pleasure in calling for him to go but Foster a decent man who is out of his depth in a brutal business must exit the role whether he is paid out to leave as he should be, or he voluntarily step aside. So uh, the biggest newspaper in the country of the All Blacks has taken an editorial stance on the All Blacks head coach, which is just a remarkable step. We've been told that uh, the All Blacks don't really get into the business of of sacking head coaches, but the pressure at this point seems to have mounted that you can't really see him surviving beyond next weekend should they lose once again in South Africa. And it will be a hell of a turnaround for them not to lose once again in South Africa. The Springboks beating them with their largest 
margin of victory in 94 years on Saturday. 26-10 was the full-time score, and it could have been so much worse as well. I think Mark Kilhan in uh, one of the South African papers was saying that uh, somebody, the All Blacks uh, are imposters to the legacy of the All Blacks and wouldn't be fit to tie the laces of some of those giants in black. And it could have been closer to a 30-point differential, but the respect the boys in green have for those in black kept it reasonable. So it's Ellis Park this weekend and done for Ian Foster if, you're, um, if your eyes are open at all to, to what's going on at the moment. And is, the only question is who comes in. Is he suggesting that the, the Springboks went easy on them there? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, the Springboks took pity on the All Blacks, according to Mark Johan, which uh, is really not what you want to be seeing as a, as a New Zealand supporter. But we were told after the series defeat to Ireland that he had two games to save his job and the first of those two games has gone badly, badly wrong for him. I did see it's Argentina in back-to-back games after that, so maybe if he survives this weekend, Just, it's like to beat Argentina twice at home. I mean, really, if you were thinking strategically, and we know Razzy does, do you just put out a team and go, lads, look, let's keep this, let's keep this chump in charge here for the World Cup, because obviously he ain't going to fix this. So let's lose this game, but store it in your memory bank. Let them win the two games against Argentina. Let them, you know, oh, we've, we've changed, we're better. And then let's just crush them in the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Could, could Rassi possibly overthink something in such a way? I'm not overthinking. That's like, that's like one step ahead. That's not proper chess at all. That's like, here, listen, these yeah. guys, come on. Like we, we, we assume that a coaching change will automatically lead to the All Blacks winning the World Cup. They're down to fifth now in the world rankings. I think it might be their lowest ever spot in the world rankings. England have now leapfrogged them into, into the top four in the world rankings. But, like, I mean, some of the, the writing we've seen over the last couple of months has been these players aren't fit to lace Legends boots, they just aren't good enough. Like, their, their skill execution uh, has been very, very poor and they look very, very blunt in attack. Like, you give the All Blacks the ball now and you're happy enough that they, they might not be able to cause you too much damage unless one of their individuals comes up with something special. So, is this actually just a, a really poor generation of players, relatively speaking, that just aren't going to be a contender at all at, at next year's World Cup. Are, are we just overthinking this entirely? Like, because that does seem to be the fear at the moment. That like France, for example, are waking up this morning and being like, what are you doing, South Africa? Stop, stop. Let Ian Foster bring them into the next World Cup. That's one other contender uh, uh, away from, from our quest to, to win our home World Cup. So, I don't know. Like, maybe... Maybe Razor is like the, the, the guy that they, they all speak about down there is like the, the next great coach and he's going to be the person who, who brings him to glory. And that'll be really interesting to, to see him in charge. But um, himself, Robertson or Schmidt, you, you would think is going to be All Blacks coach going into next year's World Cup. Um, it will be interesting to see how quickly they make the change because the, the clamour for change is now, it appears so great that change is coming. And um, again, you know, it's great of the writers to be able to tie all this together in season two. We thought that maybe it was... Anyway. Uh, uh, right, so f- a few more. Um, United are nearly gone bad enough to have their own all-or-nothing documentary, says John Claffey. Um, <laughs> I forgot this show turns into the Manchester United finger-pointing hour every August. Well, <laughs> last year it lasted a bit longer than August. Oh, we went all the way to April, May. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, you've been spelled every Monday, says... Uh, somebody else talked to him about that. Okay, so what's next? They're they're the red this week. We we pity you, you all blacks. We we you know we we're sorry for your trouble, and we're really enjoying it. Uh, next up is just Irish in action uh, this weekend in English football. A bit of a mixed bag. It was good to see a couple of debuts. Obviously, seeing Gavin Bazuni start for Southampton was brilliant. He made a couple of good saves. 
wasn't much he could do about the goals. He did concede four of them. We'll get to Spurs in a moment. Spurs were exceptional, to be fair, and they, they look uh, a hell of an outfit this season, even better than how they finished last season. And then obviously the other big debutant in the Premier League was Nathan Collins, who uh, also had a, had a bad result to kind of stick down beside his name for his uh, full, I guess, um, Wolves debut anyway. Um, so Leeds beat them late on. There was a, a bit of a... Not a schmazzle, there was a bit of a disagreement between Jesse Marsh and Bruno Lage on the sideline afterwards. That was kind of the big takeaway from that game. But Nathan Collins obviously comes away with a defeat. I don't think, again, you could be pointing the finger too much at him. So a bit of a mixed bag on that front. Uh, you had Conor Ronan and Joe Hodge on the bench rules as well for that game. So that'll be one to keep an eye on as the season develops. But I guess the big winner in the Premier League from Irish perspective was Mark Travers, Bournemouth with that result, obviously. Uh, you will have been paying close attention to that year. It was a great result, clean sheet for him. The thing is, they have signed someone else in goals. They bought a 33-year-old Neto from Barcelona. You'd like to think that as a 33-year-old, he will be back up to Mark Travers. But uh, as his first season back in the Premier League, you might think he's walking something of a tightrope that if he goes out of form or anything like that, they do have another guy in there. But there's no sign that that's going to happen. So, um, yeah, as I say, a bit of a mixed return from Irish players. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens as Spurs continue on this run with uh, Matt Doherty. And if he'll get minutes, Emerson looked good at the weekend, uh, Matt Doherty sprung late on from the bench you'd like to think with the way Conte was talking about last season that in some competition at least Doherty will get a very good opportunity to stake his claim in that starting 11 and may well get back in there and may well keep that as the season goes on and then you had Shane Duffy of course who came on in injury time for Fulham as well and then there was just a, a couple of uh, really positive stories from the championship I'm not sure did you see that stat on Saturday Era Guide had it that 11% of the players that started in the championship on Saturday were Irish uh, 21 out of uh, 198 of them so um, this is our league now if we want to look at uh, Irish players Shane Long obviously scoring for Reading on his return you had uh, James McLean scoring you had uh, Will Smallbone winning man of the match on his full debut uh, on loan with Stoke City so positive news uh, the other thing then further afield and it's kind of one that we're going to be keeping an eye on as the season goes on is uh, the Irish footballers in Italy and uh, Aaron Connolly uh, missed his chance to make his Coppa Tallu debut because of a Covid issue again so he's been pretty unlucky on that front uh, down through the years so uh, we'll have to wait to see him uh, over the next few weeks. So, uh, Amber, fair enough, I think, for Irish players. Uh, and hopefully uh, things start ticking into green. Because, as I say, I think Nathan Collins and Gavin Bazunu, um they had uh, tough days at the office on Saturday, but neither can be uh, criticised too much. Yeah, I did see a little bit of backlash about the fact that Conor Cody's not in the Wolves team. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, can they play together? Is Cody on the way out? I'm not sure. Um, uh, it was Ian Dark who was actually tweeting about that. And uh, I didn't... Uh, like with Pizzuno, what do you do? You know, he, he's he just has to play. It's going to be a long season for Southampton. If you look at their transfer business, it's very strange that like most of their business is loan or um, city youngsters, and they're they're in the hunt for a bunch of loan players still. So there's there's a lot of business still to be done that will really des- decide which of those teams at the bottom in that bottom ten have enough quality to survive. You hope that from Southampton's perspective they do because it would be great for him to play in a team that had a bit of confidence and had some victories he's definitely going to be busy he's definitely going to get a lot of experience this season and like ultimately as a goalkeeper that's not a bad thing really No absolutely not and I think somebody had it as well at the weekend that it's, it's only four years since he made his debut for Shamrock Rovers so this has been a, a very quick ascent from a 16 year old into a 20 year old who's just made his Premier League debut so uh, the, the thing is like there have been cases where 
a team is rooted to a relegation battle, which I think Southampton may well be all this season, and a defender or a goalkeeper just really stands out and people can see the wood from the trees. You're not like, oh, that guy can see the four goals, therefore he's a bad goalkeeper. I think already from Saturday, people are like, uh, I think Bazzini played well in spite of the fact that his team were under the cosh for pretty much the entire game. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that narrative develop over the course of the season where Southampton are bad but Southampton have a few bright sparks and Gavin Bazunu being one of those bright sparks and him not necessarily being a championship player next year even if Southampton are a championship team Yeah Il Pacino 88 says uh, Gavin Bazunu is great for the Saints really shocked by the level of criticism that he's got from the Saints supporters no chance for any of the goals that's going to happen and I didn't realise there was like a, I saw it there was like um, Portsmouth fans are right getting quite a bit of joy in Gavin Bazunu uh, conceding four goals which is just bizarre really given um, it was always going to be a temporary uh, sojourn to, to Portsmouth, but uh, I hadn't really seen the Southampton fans giving him a stick. Uh, OK. Um, Pogba has a lot to answer for yesterday, says Damien Fury. It's true. <laughs> it is true, really. His, his attitude has infested the club so badly that it still hangs over even though he's not there. His attitude stunk yesterday. Oh, it was terrible. You, you couldn't see him. Body language. He, he was anonymous. Absolutely anonymous. Um yeah, all right. What's but, next? Lads, it's Tottenham in uh, the green this week. You say, you say um, a year away Arsenal's chances, and we can talk about them in a minute. Maybe North London should have just been in the, the green of the performance rankings, but Tottenham Hotspur, other than maybe like uh, an individual performance of like Erling Haaland, I think Tottenham Hotspur was the most striking performance from the weekend. I think it's nothing new. A lot of people would have predicted them to potentially even break the duopoly at the top of the Premier League this season. I say wait and see for, for just a couple of months before we can actually rush to that conclusion. But it's very hard to make a case that they're going to finish below Chelsea or below Arsenal or below Manchester United this season. I, don't, I, I think they will finish third at worst this year. And it, that, that might be getting carried away with the first game of the season. But the evidence was there from last year. They have arguably the third best manager in the Premier League. Himself versus Tuchel maybe is a, is a battle for that. You can make a case he's better than Tuchel. The attacking talent they had before Conte came in was excellent. And then they brought in Kulisevsky last season. He is, you know, he's doing great things for, for ginger people, let alone for Tottenham fans. And uh, he is uh, heralded as one of their heroes now at this point. You've got Richarlison still to make an impact. You've got you've Perisic come off the bench at the weekend again, somebody who wasn't even there from the start. Uh, of, of the game and they were just awesome it was just a complete barrage on Gavin Bazunu's goal obviously J- James Ward-Prowse scores a, a brilliant goal in the first half but other than that maybe they had one other chance other than that there was no real opportunities and Spurs they're going to score a lot of goals this season and they're going to be battling on two fronts obviously and that's why they've had to inflate the squad a little bit this season but I think this Sunday they play Chelsea and that'll be an, an early marker for Tottenham Like it, it does feel like it's already a bit of a, a, a crossroads if I can go that far because if they lose to Chelsea on Sunday, it kind of feels like what I'm saying right now just blows up straight away and it's like, well, that's a significant blow immediately. Whereas now it feels like they're in a position to be like, we're better than Chelsea. And I don't think anybody's making an argument that Arsenal or Manchester United are, are better than Tottenham. But I think when it comes, you can make an argument about Chelsea possibly being better than Tottenham. And this Sunday Spurs can be like, nah, we're better than Chelsea. So I, I think it's relatively high stakes this Sunday. And it's, it's really a really exciting game. early game. Yeah. It, is, it is a big game. Um, I, I, again, because it's so early teams will find form and teams will find rhythms and some of the signings will start to get match fit and all that so there's still massive improvement to be made by these but the thing is that it seems like Spurs are doing this off an architecture that they put in last year that really suits the group that really suits the team that they have all responded to Conte's probings the wildness from that after the Burnley defeat last year that seems to have sparked something 
and the run that they're on has continued like they do appear to be getting on quite well as individuals and as a collective and you know we've seen under him in the past players have improved so he's clearly a good coach as in whatever coaching system and, and ticket he has with him gets the players to be better they're Transfers last year in the uh, window immediately impacted the team. He didn't play most of the the, um, transfers at the weekend. So he's still got room to step this up and improve it and mix things around a bit. So I would be very, very, very excited if I was a Spurs fan. Definitely. Like the the subs bench was was one of the best Spurs subs benches I've seen in a while on Saturday. Um, So like a flavour of it is like Matt Doherty, Davinson Sanchez, Perisic, Fraser Forster, Jed Spence, Lucas Moura. Longley, Basuma, that was their bench. Uh, like the the depth they have now means that like you, you'd, be, you'd be thinking maybe if City and Liverpool are still just a couple of inches ahead of them on the Premier League race, this feels like a squad that could do something in Europe, especially under Conte as well. Where uh, like they did under Poch all those years ago, they could they could cause an upset or two, and it wouldn't even be that much of an upset given some of the attacking talent they have. But like we talk about Manchester United and and some of the the players that seem unsavable or players that continue to let them down. It feels that there's been like a, a change in mentality with a couple of these Spurs players. Like of Eric Dyer, for example, just looks a lot more reliable. It helps to be two, I guess, centre-backs, maybe one-and-a-half centre-backs beside him on Saturday as well. And you've got the likes of Christian Romero and, and Davinson Sanchez in the squad who are really, really good. And obviously Longley has come in, so it'll help that he's going to be playing alongside quality players. And maybe Dyer won't even be in the first-choice defence come the mid-part of the season. But these are all just brilliant questions for Conte to, to answer. And he was jumping around like a madman on Saturday afternoon as well. He's really into this job. And I think he made the point that maybe this could be a, a mid-term gig for Conte. Yeah. That's long-term in, in Conte, Conte years. You know, everybody says, oh, it's Conte. He doesn't... Like, we, Martin Lippert was like, oh, it's Conte. He never stays. But, like, he never stays because there's a reason to go. Like, mm. uh, the, the job he did at Juventus and then the job with Italy... And then it was like, okay, I'm going to the Premier League, but it was Abramovich, so it was never going yeah. to last. And then after that, the job he does at Inter, but Inter are completely broken, set his best players, like, screw this, I'm out of here. Like, that doesn't mean that he will always leave because he always leaves. Um, I think London might have its charms if you're earning 10, 15 million a year. You might be able to have a nice lifestyle there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like, I think if you're playing, if you're starting a new um, career in football manager right now like Tottenham would be one of the teams you would pick like it's an exciting job on, on, objectively speaking so Conte is probably going to be energised by this for a while because chances are they won't win the Premier League this season they won't win the Champions League but they might come close and then next season they're like can we come closer so it's exciting they're constantly in the hunt it feels uh, and again look we're, we're um, they beat Southampton on Saturday so it's uh, and, and we already said that Southampton could be in a relegation battle so I think the excitement is more a continuation from last season as opposed to just getting carried away with Saturday and be fair, this Sunday they do come up against a Chelsea side who, well, I mean, they were I, I want to say forced it on Saturday, but they, they grounded out on Saturday. There's still different parts of that team that look really impressive, like Koulibaly was, was excellent on, on Saturday evening, I thought, and Thiago Silva as well. And Sterling just looks like somebody who's going to fit seamlessly into that Chelsea attack. So Thiago Silva is Tom afternoon. Brady, like at this stage. He's still playing at a very high level, at a very advanced age. It is remarkable that he is able to do so. Um, they do have £105 million invested in their left wing-back position. It seems quite high. Uh, Chelsea? Yeah. It's like, uh, how do we get to this situation? Kukurea, yeah. Like, I mean, um, Tuchel is making the point that he could play along the maybe other positions in the back, three slash five. I hope so. I want a little yeah. bit of flexibility for all that money. Like, he's um, a few million. You'd get Erling Haaland and have a few million spare for what they paid for Kukurea. 
well, the fees that have been reported publicly anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's it just like um, the the new owner is spending his money. He's got a big wad of cash in his pocket and he wants to get something for it. He does. He Shiny wants to, and new. Yeah, and he wants to be associated with it, it seems. Nice punch in the face to Man City as well. It's yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. So, you know, he's got we've got an activist owner who's centrally involved in the stuff. Is that good or bad thing? Well, I think it tells us that we can never properly write Chelsea out of contention any season. It, it, it seems foolish, to, uh, what I just said, which is that Spurs will probably finish ahead of Chelsea because I, they're always around. Yeah, but I, it, will Tuchel like this? Because say, say the team loses next week against Spurs and uh, he decides, Tuchel decides to like not pick one of the players or to sub off one of the players that uh, the new owner has been personally invested in signing. Just it all feels a little bit Jerry Jones, the Dallas Cowboys to me. That like it's gonna there's gonna be splashy stuff, and he's gonna be talking a lot. And it's like oh, I firmly believe this coach is gonna win the Champions League for me because you know he's already done it, but not for me. Uh, so I don't know. I see that one. I, I you can see him just being an American version of Abramovich. Yeah, yeah, and there, there could be a, a number of of really silly signings that they make. Like I'm not sure Kukure is, is going to be that though. Is I, I, like, I, I think it's a probably a very good signing. Yeah. It's just that it was very expensive, and it seemed like it was done purely out of spite to Man City. Yeah, like did we see the uh, the Chelsea tweet as well uh, announcing the signing? Like, um, apologies, I'm going to like completely butcher this, but Brighton obviously put up a, a tweet a few days previously, being like, contrary to media reports, Sky Sports News and uh, Fabrizio Romano, uh, we have not reached an agreement with uh, Chelsea Football Club for the sale of any player. And then two days later, after the signing was completed, Chelsea were like club communication. Uh, contrary to media reports, we have reached an agreement with uh, Brighton and Hove Albion for the signing of uh, Marco Correa. Um, like salty admin, it's probably just Todd Bowley. He's got the password to the Twitter account. He does. You, I would not be surprised if he has that all those passwords. Uh, okay, so that's that situation. You have completely. I, I, you must. You must be very excited for all the despair that I feel after the opening day of the season. You must be very, very excited about Arsenal not doing what they did last year and ruining the start of the first six months of the year, not giving you any uh, chance to get into this. Yes, these are my boys. They are your boys. Yeah, it would just be. Hap- it would just be great if this had all happened like twelve months earlier because there is just a chance that Spurs and Chelsea are just going to be too good and better than Arsenal all season even though Arsenal look like they could be very good all season like Gabriel Jesus looked good on Friday night it's like you sign a proven player from the Premier League and he looks like a proven player in the Premier League Zinchenko looked good and of course they're a shiny new thing and that'll be great and they've got their Premier League medals um, so like there's no real surprise there but William Saliba at, at centre-back was possibly the most important performance to look out for on Friday night and, and he excelled as well and he talked about options in the heart of that Tottenham defence well Arsenal are going to have that exact same thing as well as soon as uh, they've got their full choice full backs back with, with Tommy Yasu coming back in at right back who's actually going to be their um, centre back partnership so Mikel Arteta also has good headaches to deal with Fabio Vieira is going to come into that midfield and things look very rosy all of a sudden for Arsenal I still doubt that they'll finish any higher than fourth but they're in the conversation for fourth and uh, I think they kind of need to get it for this project to look optimistic at the end of the season Well they also are playing really exciting football with uh, one of the most talented group of kids playing football anywhere in the world at the moment that's the best part right? Yeah, no, it is, to be fair. And like, it's Martinelli and Saka on, on um, Friday night as well looked really good. And obviously the goal, the goal scores essentially, I know Saka's was uh, an own goal in the end. But yeah, that's, that's the really exciting part about it all. And as I say, Saliba has been part of that coterie of young players that have been talked about at Arsenal for quite some time. And Saliba was 
filed under Aubameyang slash Ozil just a, a few years ago where I thought that Arteta didn't fancy him and Arteta was going to get it all wrong and maybe he actually got this one right and uh, like it, it seems that if he comes and, and, and plays a lot of games this season and, and is really good he'll have been proven right in that regard so that is definitely the most exciting part about it these these players that maybe not a whole pot of people would have known about until they actually came through the, the ranks at Arsenal or were signed by Arsenal at a very young age um, that, that gives you hope that the recruitment and the processes in place behind the scenes are actually working Alright, uh, Connor Cody going to Everton on loan it looks like um, so the Wolves fans can cry all they want but he ain't going to be playing football for them this year it looks like um, there is apparently a medical underway depending on what you're reading this morning uh, with regards to that one the other thing of course is that uh, Chelsea signed Karni Chukwemenka for 20 yeah. million from Villa Villa's best player is no longer at Villa because they couldn't give him enough game time last season it's like really? really? Yeah, he, and like, what's he, what's he going to do at Chelsea this season? Like, maybe he's like ready to break through and and play for a top six club now. But it felt like Aston Villa was almost the perfect level for him. And uh, I wouldn't have even been surprised if it was like Chelsea buy him and then put him straight back on loan to Villa because maybe that's what he needs at this point. But maybe not. Like, he does look absolutely class. So he, he could play a significant amount for Chelsea this season. We'll see. We will see. Um, I wish him all the very best. Next. Uh, the last thing in our performance rankings this morning is Kilkenny, All-Ireland Camogie champions once again. It looked like it was going to be relatively easy for them. They were twenty or they were six points up after 20 minutes and then Cork just uh, raced back into the game before half-time and I think Cork were two points up with three minutes left to play. I think we all predicted Kilkenny in our quick picks on Friday as well and I was like, this is how it goes. You know, we've... Uh, put the hex on Kilkenny once again but Sophie Dwyer comes up with this dramatic late goal and it's not a goal to win the game because Cork come back into it and then uh, Kilkenny needs to get a late free to, to actually win the game themselves but uh, that Sophie Dwyer goal was was really important and I think the drama kind of holds given her uh, arc her story arc this season where she walks away from the intermediate panel at the start of the year says I'm good enough to play for the senior team Brian Dowling was talking about this after the game yesterday and he was like you know, she, she wasn't in the starting 15 and, and she wasn't in the starting 15 even at the end of the season and she was struggling to get game time and it was only as the summer started to heat up that she started to get more significant game time off the bench and put in really big contributions as the season wore on and then yesterday coming off the bench made the biggest contribution of all to score the goal that wins the game and Kilkenny maybe there was questions a few years ago about them being in tight games and where their metal was I think yesterday they've proven that actually when the game's in the melting pot they're as good as any team uh, as actually getting uh, getting a win in, in those tight situations obviously devastated by the semi-final defeat last year and they seem to have turned it down at said yesterday I still think that it was very very close that we can draw these grand conclusions about Kilkenny Metal and all that and still last puck of the game Ashley Thompson has the ball in her hand and it goes wide and when she when she goes for that effort I'm thinking right uh, this is this is a draw we're going to another day here but it just drifts wide and sometimes that happens and um, Kilkenny they will write the, the story of yesterday because they are the victors and it's been a hell of a 2020 or 2022 for them on so many levels just given the personal tragedies that have struck the management team and and then obviously all the people who've retired uh, players travelling a couple of players who who did uh, cruciates um, two sisters the the, the Doyle sisters did cruciates uh, within weeks of each other at the start of the season so all this sort of stuff kind of built up over the course of the year and it's uh, it's been a hell of a journey that they've been on this season and they they just about got it done yesterday We're going to come back to this a little bit later on with Fiona Hickey but um, before that let's hear from Kilkenny's Laura Murphy here talking with Ashing O'Reilly in Croker yesterday after they won the All-Ireland. 
Laura, congratulations. I'm not going to keep you long. As I said, I'll let you get back to the dressing room. It's the, one of the best bits after winning All-Ireland, I'm sure, to get in there, see all the girls. It must be great stuff at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you look, we, we said at half time, we're either going to be coming in here, heads down, looking at our boots, or you know, the Adolfi will be in, in the middle of the dressing room and just such an unbelievable feeling uh, to be going back into that dressing room now knowing that the girls would all be jumping around the place and just delighted <laughs> At half time you were level you had when six points clear at one stage Cork hadn't scored you must have thought then going in at half time that they sort of got a bit of momentum and you know you didn't want to be going in level after having a six point lead uh, No absolutely not but look uh, I knew myself as did all the girls like six points up we knew Cork were going to have a, a purple patch and you know oh my god they did like they came back level going in at half time uh, and we knew that the second half was just going to be a dogfight um, and you know it was that they threw everything at us and it took everything in us uh, to come out the right side of that including a, a little bit of luck at the end Absolutely what was it like out on the pitch it looked like it was a really physical game and the sun was beaming down as well to add to matters yeah, uh, look, it was just uh, took an incredible amount of hard work and, you know, fitness. Oh, my God, the, the running, you know, Cork's game, they're, they're so quick and they're constantly looking for the ball up and down the pitch. You know, it's end line to end line stuff. And, uh, you know, with the weather today, it was, it was a, definitely a tough one. And as you said, a little bit of luck. Sophie Dwyer, she managed to pull on the ball. It rebounded back out. She did exactly the right thing, pulled on it hard and went in the back of the net. What were you thinking then? Uh, I was just absolutely delighted and just, you know need to push on now for the last couple of minutes but you know it's credit to Sophie she's been um, you know immense she's come into a little bit of form uh, towards the end of the year and you know we say it all the time it's not just the 15 players it's the five players that come on it's the other 10 girls that are on the, the panel as well pushing all the time and you know we needed those girls coming off the bench today because you know it wouldn't happen otherwise You've lost a lot of girls this year through retirements, travelling, injuries, all that sort of thing. A lot of people maybe at the start of the year would have rocked Kenny off that, you know, there's too many girls gone, they're not going to be able to do it this year, and here you are. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely, and look, I suppose that makes it a little bit sweeter, and, uh, you know, when a door closes for one, it opens for another, and, you know, you've seen Tiffany today, you know, 19 years of age, up the pitch, you know, corner back, over the bar, you know, I think it's, it might, that's definitely her, her first point in championship this year and, you know, what a way to get it and as I said, you know, Tiffany is one of those players, she took on an opportunity this year and had an unbelievable season. And the management, what have you made in this year? Uh, I just will never come across a, a management team like the lads, they're unbelievable, the work they put in behind the scenes is, you know, they're credit to themselves and, um, you know, they're, they're you know, Training is different every day you go, the work that's put in, um, they're, they're unbelievable. And you'll enjoy the celebrations now you'll get back to Kilkenny tonight? Yeah, there'll be no fear of that. Uh, we'll be well able to enjoy this one. Thanks, Marla. Thanks very much. Hello.